America is an amazing country filled with wonderful people who do incredible things. But too often, the media and liberal politicians ignore big parts of our nation and the people who make it work. So I'm speaking with leaders and policymakers who deal with real problems every day. I'm Ronna McDaniel, and this is Real America. Today, I'm sitting down with South Dakota Governor Kristi Noem to talk about the issues facing Americans outside the bubble, from COVID to Keystone to her other jobs as farmer, rancher, small business owner, and mom. So I am here with my good friend, Mm -hmm. Kristi Noem, Governor of South Dakota. And I really wanted to have this conversation with you because as our whole country was shutting down and the media was coming after governors like you and praising these Democrat governors during COVID, you took a totally different tack and you Mm -hmm. kept your businesses open and you kept your schools open Mm -hmm. and you did the right thing by your state. But I want to hear how you came to that decision mm-hmm. and, and what the implications have been of you making that strong leadership decision. You know, Rana, I think when I was making the decisions, I didn't honestly think they would be unique. Um, you know, because we spent a lot of time on the phone talking as governors about our different states, about this virus we were hearing about in other countries, the fact it was coming to the United States and then it arrived, how to prepare our states for it. So I really didn't think that how we were going to approach it was going to be any different than what was happening in other states. So I, what I did is probably what every other governor did. I, I listened to the scientists. I read all the studies that were coming. I talked to my health officials, spent a lot of time with my Department of Health and my hospital systems getting prepared. Uh, but then I also was spent a lot of time with my my legal team, you know, my general counsel and some folks that were experts and constitutional authorities because I really wanted to understand what what my role was as governor. Um, I really wanted to understand what authority I had and what authority I did not have so that I had that background whenever I made these decisions. And I heard you talk about how you never labeled a business an essential business because you recognize that to every person who owns a business, their business is essential. Mm -hmm. That was really different than a lot of Mm -hmm. governors across the country. You never did a mandate. You kept schools open. I know from my experience being in a state that's been completely locked down with with Gretchen Whitmer and my kids are still in virtual school, uh, it's been such a a terrible impact for the kids in my state, especially even my kids. As a mom, did that help you make that decision to keep the schools open? Did that help you understand the impact that would have mm-hmm. on, on school-age kids? I think at the time, nobody knew how much it would have impact kids. Um, you know, we certainly thought about it, talked about it, spent a lot of time with even my Department of Education secretary and teachers. But, you know, for us, I, I was looking at our schools, but also when you talk about defining businesses, you know, the discussion that was happening with my key team, my executive team, was... Um, well, on what basis would you determine this business is essential and that that one's not? And then trying to come up with those definitions. And then if I do declare that they're not essential and I force them to close, what's the consequences of that? Can they come back and sue me? Well, legally, yes, they could for a taking of their business. And then that opens up liabilities on the taxpayers. So everything had a consequence that I think we thought about, you know, five, ten steps ahead to see what the ripple effect would be of every decision that I made. I'm grateful I had an executive team that was willing to put the time in to do that. Uh, And that's how I made my decisions. I also knew that we didn't know what the future held. I knew that people would, based on the decisions that I make, said that it 
impacted people that this politically could be very challenging. They'd actually be able to say that whatever governors did, you know, caused people to lose their lives. So we had never been in that situation before. I think every minute of every day we were making these decisions, we realized that we didn't have a roadmap. We didn't have anything we could look at uh, uh, that would show us how to do this. And then also the science was changing all the time too. So at the end of the day, it always came down to me saying, I'm going to do my job. I'm not going to do anybody else's job. I'm going to do my job as governor. And then I'm going to be super honest with the people that live here. And I'm going to ask them to do their job. Because everybody had a role in doing it together. And I told them, you know, many, many times over, I'm going to trust you. Um, I'm going to give you all the information that I have. I'm going to tell you what I know about the virus and what you can do. But I'm going to let you use personal responsibility to make the best decisions for your family. Have you talked to any business owners or people who've come up to you and personally said you thanks, thanks mm -hmm. for keeping my business open. Yeah. Do they understand the difference between what your state did and say a state like New York or California? Do you have any stories? I think they all do. Yeah. I think they all do. The, what is amazing to me is the amount of people who, you know, while we were in the middle of it, people weren't traveling very much, even though South Dakota could go and do things and they still were being smart because I'd asked them. Yeah. I'd, I'd asked them, just be responsible. Don't go somewhere if you don't have to. Um, but also, if you're scared, stay home. I think I said that a lot, too. If you are scared, stay home, and we will bring you your food. We'll bring you whatever you need. But there are a lot of people who have businesses to run and need to get through it. So I think people really appreciated the constant communication, the constant willingness to give them more information. And, yeah, business owners have been amazing. The encouragement that they give me, there was one point it, it had been a really, really tough day. You know, I, had, I was getting attacked by all the national press. Um, I think Rachel Maddow had ripped me apart the night before, and, of course, it was getting shared with all the national media about this crazy governor in South Dakota. And, um, and then my daughter was there, and she said, Mom, you need to come outside. And I heard sirens and, and stuff going on. I thought something terrible had happened, and it was a parade that the people of South Dakota we're holding a parade for me outside the governor's residence and it was hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of vehicles and motorcycles and horses and tractors and fire trucks and sheriff vehicles of them thanking me wow. um, and that was during the summer months when we still had a long road ahead of us but i think even then south dakota's attitude was we can do this and we can do it together in a partnership with our governor and not in a aggressive you know contentious way. So a year later, we're a year past kind of mm -hmm. the very beginning yeah. of this. And at the beginning, you know, Cuomo was this hero I and know. we were watching his news conferences every day. And Gavin Newsom was this hero. And like you said, the media was attacking you. Now, didn't you kind of watch his press conferences kind of like, I can't, yes. I can't look away. No. And, 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 and yeah. he was like, oh, this, and now yeah. you look at, he hid information about the nursing right. homes and how he totally mistreated mm -hmm. the elderly and putting the infected patients in right. with the most vulnerable population. How did you deal with your elderly during the COVID um, pandemic and what were the results in your state? Yeah, we spent a lot of time uh, speaking with our administrators and the families who had the elderly population. From the very beginning, I told all the people in South Dakota, I wasn't going to talk about cases. People were going to catch the virus, and, and we knew that. We knew we couldn't stop the virus. We could slow it down, but we really needed to protect those folks that were in the vulnerable population. So that's where we really focused on doing that. So each 
nursing home or assisted home, uh, living home, they made their own decisions on how to protect those individuals. We got all of our resources there to take care of them and, and got through it. But, uh, but we were incredibly transparent too. I mean, I just don't even understand how Cuomo ended up in the position that he was um, because we just don't operate that way. And everything was very transparent. Our daily press conferences were us going through data and numbers and bringing in our healthcare officials. We were bringing in folks on the ground, letting people that were in those situations talk and communicate too, which, which I think is important. I think it's important to make sure that you have a team and not just have one person, the governor, sharing what is their truth, because that's really when it can be abused and twisted, and you end up in a situation much like New York is dealing with. And, and your state, and I'm going to make mm -hmm. you brag a little bit, okay? okay? Yeah. I know you're very uncomfortable yeah. with that, but I do want you to brag, because yeah. let's talk about your unemployment rate right now, yeah. your GDP, your surplus. Go through all the numbers of to where South mm -hmm. Dakota is right now, a year out from this pandemic, because of decisions that you made. Yeah, it's really remarkable. Um, we've always been a well-run state. We've got a AAA credit rating. We've got one of the lowest tax burdens in the country. We're the, one of the lowest regulated states. We've had good conservative government at the state level, certainly. But throughout this pandemic, I think everybody who wanted a little bit of freedom came to South Dakota in 2020. You know, they just wanted, and we really promoted uh, the outdoors, hiking, uh, our state parks, uh, tourism on what people could do in our state. So we do have the lowest unemployment rate in the nation. It's at 2.9%. Wow. We were the only state that turned down the president's elevated unemployment benefits. Do you remember when he offered that extension? Uh, and I said to the president, thank you for the flexibility, but we don't need it. Our people want to work. And in one week, even those folks that were sitting on the sideline said, that's right, it's time to go back to work. So I cut my unemployment claims in half in just one week. Wow. Um, we have the fastest growing economy uh, at 9.9% GDP, which is fantastic. Thousands of people are moving to South Dakota right now. And I also use this as an opportunity, though, to tell our story. So I advertised in other states specifically that if they wanted a government that respected them, they should move to South Dakota. So we're moving hundreds and hundreds of businesses to our state as well. And what I found is that anybody that could work from anywhere or work remotely, they said, I want to live somewhere where my kids can be in the classroom, where they can live, where life is normal, where our government knows its role, and they came. It's, it's remarkable to hear some of the stories of families that moved from California, New Jersey, New York, um, Michigan especially. Um, we got, sorry, but we got That's a lot okay. of families from Michigan. I and, might be packing up yeah, soon, too, and, if and my Wisconsin. kids don't get back in school. Yeah. That's right. And Minnesota in particular. The Minnesota governor mm -hmm. was particularly unfair to me. So in some of his press conferences. So I decided to spend millions of dollars in Minnesota <laughs> uh, recruiting their businesses. So there we put TV ads up. We put radio ads up. I put billboards up with my face that said, South Dakota, we mean business. And if you want to have your business be open, if you want freedom, come to our state and we will welcome you with open arms. And so we have a lot of people that that in this day and age, you know, just didn't know South Dakota was there and how wonderful it was, and they've decided to make the trip. I love that you use the word freedom. So what's your motto yeah. for your state? You were saying that earlier yeah. today. Yeah, what? our motto for our state is under God, the people rule. The, yeah. And I, I did a couple of press conferences just on that, um, that, that there's a reason that our country was founded the way that it was.
it was founded for freedom and it was to get underneath and out from under the heavy hand of government and dictators and people who were taking away people's opportunities to provide for their families and make a living and we need to remind people of that and that that constitution is what gave us the foundation that kept America special for hundreds of years. And so I had to remind people of that, the role of government, what it should be in your life, what it shouldn't be. Uh, and it kind of surprised me as most governors were talking about cases and what was happening at hospitals. I gave them that information too, but I also realized it was a unique opportunity to educate people on really what the role of government should be in your life. I think that's so poignant and such a difference between our governors mm -hmm. versus Democrat governors because freedom really is on the ballot. Yeah. And we forget that our freedom to open our business, mm -hmm. for our kids to go to school, to practice our religion. Like you said, many states shut down church attendance. Well, what alarmed me the most, Rana, was how people just gave it up. Yeah, like so because, quickly. Because somebody said, you can't gather in groups in your home. They said, okay. You know, that's, that's what I think was shocking for me in 2020 to, was to watch people just comply when uh, it was so dramatically and detrimentally impacting their families. So and I think now people are saying enough yeah. is enough. Yeah. I was willing to help, but now my freedoms are being right. stripped away and this is bad for our country. You have such a unique background coming mm -hmm. in to being mm -hmm. a governor. And I, I want to talk a little bit about that. Uh, first, being a farmer, being a rancher, mm -hmm. how did that impact your decisions too? as you were going through this, you're not just a politician. You didn't come through yeah. politics. You've owned a business. You've run a ranch. Yeah. How did that affect your mindset and how you govern and lead mm -hmm. in your state? Well, I think it impacts everything. Even from the first time I ran for office, I told people, I'm going to tell you who I am, what my values are, um, and, and ask for your support. But then I'm going to use those values to make all of my decisions. So we're in a republic, and I can't be double-minded and go back and forth and try to make everybody happy. I think I realized that before I ever ran for office the first time. So I've been pretty palms up with, with folks that this is who I am. I'm going to make my decisions this way and then ask for you to support me in the future. But if you don't, if you disagree with those decisions, I certainly understand. That's what's special about our country. But I grew up with a mom and dad that um, everything was very black and white. I mean, my dad was tough. He was a cowboy and he worked all the time. And, and my mom, you know, kept us alive because <laughs> us kids were always with him. So he, we had a very large farming operation. Even our vacations were hard. They were usually hunting in the mountains, you know, either elk or deer or something. And, uh, you know, my mom was a trooper because she was a city girl that married this cowboy that all of a sudden her life dramatically changed. But, you know, he woke us up every day by yelling up the stairs, get up. More people die in bed than anywhere else. And we were always burning daylight and never working hard enough. And he's the guy who'd walk in the door and say, Christy, I just bought a farm in Mississippi, so we got to go to Mississippi now and farm on the weekends and then come back and do this, run this ranch during the week. So every day was an adventure with him. We worked hard. We were always together as a family. And I think that that is what helped a lot during the pandemic was that my whole family was there and they always gave you perspective because I think that what happened to so many leaders was they lost perspective. They got caught up in the fear of it and the, and the unknown of it mm -hmm. and they completely lost perspective of what their job was, what their role was. I spent a lot of time managing other leaders 
I, I had conference calls all the time with county commissioners, and then I would have a conference call with all my mayors, and then I would have a conference call with all my legislators, and then I would specifically call individual mayors that were having debates over ordinances or other restrictions that they were doing. Uh, that was um, something that I think really paid off uh, that maybe not a lot of other governors did was just the constant management of other leaders too in your state to make sure we all stayed on the same team. I love your personal story and I'm going to ask to introduce you to introduce yourself a little bit more because sure. you know not everybody knows Governor Christy Nome from yeah. South Dakota yeah. and you know you do these segment interviews these 30-second interviews mm -hmm. on TV but you don't really get to know people and yeah. that's a big part of why I wanted to do yeah. these podcasts is to introduce people to mm -hmm. such great governors like like you at a very young age you took over your family ranch can you mm -hmm. talk about that experience a little bit and sure. what that was like for you and your family sure well I was going to college when my dad was killed in an accident he was only 49 years old at the time I was already married um, we had gotten married when I was 20 and I was just wrapping up college and in fact we'd been married for two years and I was just about a month away from having our first baby wow. so going to college pregnant newly you know married within the last couple of years um, when he got killed on March 10th, which ironically was also the day we got our first cases of COVID in the state of South Dakota too. So I really don't enjoy March 10th. No, that is not a, a bad great day. day. Yeah, it's a bad day. But the, um, you know, my sister was living in Georgia at the time. My older brother was in Oklahoma and my younger brother was still in high school. So I ended up quitting college, coming back, uh, becoming the general manager. Within a matter of time, my older sister and brother did move home. And so for 20, 25 years, all four of us kids farmed in partnership with our mom uh, to run the businesses. But we had a cow-calf operation. We also backgrounded our calves and feedlot and had other businesses and ran the farm. And then I managed all of it. My husband bought an insurance agency, so he runs that. But it was, it was our whole life was just businesses. But what was really got me involved in government and politics was that when dad passed away, we got hit with estate taxes, with death taxes. So I could not figure out how uh, a family could have a tragedy and that there would be a federal law that would then threaten to take away their family business. It was the only place in our tax code that we double tax somebody. And I just decided that I needed to start showing up. It took me 10 years to pay off those taxes. And so uh, I went to meetings at the time. Tom Daschle was our, the Senate Majority Leader, but he was our senator, so I just started showing up at everything that he was doing in South Dakota and talking about making sure that we had policy that actually worked for businesses and families. Wow, that's amazing. And is anybody else in your family in politics? No, and I don't think that's, that's what's hard for them. This is very, very foreign to my family. Um, you know, we certainly were conservative. We certainly you know, valued our freedoms, but nobody had even thought about being in, in politics before. And even me, most people don't know that I tend to be an introvert. You know, I love people, but going out and giving speeches and doing interviews and being at big receptions and in parties, that I enjoy that, but it exhausts me. Um, I still get nervous for every single interview. I still get nervous for every single speech. Um, but I also recognize that that we all have to do our part and that if I can contribute I certainly will and 
and that it does make a difference to have people that have experience and a different perspective. I talked about this a lot when I served in Congress, that we need a diversity of perspective around a table to get a better bill, to get better policy. We need to hear all sides of a debate in order to get the best statute that works for everybody. So I do think it's important to have somebody that grew up on a farm and ranch that's actually run a business, that's had to make some tough decisions, that went through a crisis, and to know that you can come through it and live and, and manage your way out by making good decisions, that's very helpful when you run into something like a pandemic or when you have other people relying on you to control your emotions and to keep perspective and to make the right decision for other people. That's amazing. And, and I think that's unique to our party. Yeah. That a lot of people come in from business or farming or other backgrounds to lead mm -hmm. after they've done that. Mm -hmm. And having that perspective, I know has helped you be a better leader in the pandemic. And now you have another challenge, yeah. which is Joe Biden as our yes. president. Yeah. Uh, a president that is not interested in working with re Republicans. Mm -hmm. And certainly for a state like South Dakota, has no interest in energy. Mm -hmm. Right. First thing he does, cancel the Keystone Pipeline. Yeah, it's been devastating for us. So we don't have oil in South Dakota. North Dakota has all the oil. We yeah. have Mount Rushmore. Okay. <laughs> but, but Keystone was coming through our state. So the infrastructure was already there. The, the pipe was laid out. The pumping stations were already built. Uh, we were already prepared for the workers to show up this spring, thousands of them and start installing the pipeline and ensuring that we have affordable energy supply. So in South Dakota, we utilize a lot of energy. It is cold in the winter and it is hot in the summer and it's a long ways to drive anywhere in our state. So we really value an affordable, diversified energy supply. And Keystone was a big part of that. And the thing that was interesting to me about President Biden's decision with canceling it with an executive order is that it was just wrong on every level. It was wrong on energy policy. It was wrong on safety policy. Pipelines are by far the safest way to move oil for people's protection. It also was wrong on the environment. Um, it is much safer for the environment to move this oil through the pipeline than it is how we do it today, which is by truck and by rail, which includes a lot more potential for mishaps and spills and waste uh, that could have been prevented. So I, that's what I don't understand about it is it was purely put political. It was not in the best interests of, of our country, of our people or our environment. So that's the kind of administration we're dealing with now is that they are being political in all of their decisions and they don't care how it hurts people. And did he ever reach out to you or has he ever had a conversation as a governor of a state that was directly impacted by this and workers? Mm -hmm. It's not just it's not just you. I mean, it's the people right. that are losing their jobs, who are worried about their energy prices mm -hmm. and their gas prices and their heating prices. Does he ever call you or reach out and say, hey, Governor Nome? I just want to hear your perspective. Have you even had any of that? No, it's been interesting because energy prices have gone up 30% just since he's been in office. Wow. Um, so it has already taken money out of the pockets of people in South Dakota. We had many businesses, restaurants, hotels that had already expanded. We had school districts that were counting on the property taxes the pipeline was going to bring in. You know, a lot of these rural areas where it was going to go uh, don't have a lot of options for revenue to keep their school doors open and they were so excited to have some property taxes to continue educating their kids. Uh, I went to President Biden's inauguration for that reason to show him that I was willing to have conversations 
that I wanted to share South Dakota's story with him. Uh, and I have reached out extensively and no, there has been no willingness to have a conversation back. In fact, I recently, uh, you know, within the last several weeks, he's canceled our celebration at Mount Rushmore yeah. to have fireworks, which is again, just another political hit job on our state because we had already signed agreements for the next three years. We had done all the environmental permitting processes. We had the contract signed, everything was done and ready to go and all the safety protocols were met and he canceled them anyways. And so I think what's coming out of this administration and communication to us has shown that we don't wanna hear from you. We don't wanna work with you. In fact, they sent a memo out to even my National Guard you know, making mandates to them on what their time would be, uh, that how they had to wear masks at all times when they were at work and telling us how our National Guard should behave and what they should do. And I had to remind them that I can, I command my National Guard, that um, no, we would not be doing that, that last I checked, the National Guard was under my control in South Dakota and, and that that is not his role. So that's, that's what this is going to come down to, Rana. It's going to come down to governors um, really protecting states' rights and how that impacts people in their state and fighting on every single one of these issues. And it's unfortunate because we'd way rather try to figure out ways that we could work together on the few issues we might agree on, but that doesn't appear to be the approach of the Biden administration. So you brought up earlier Mount Rushmore. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think everybody in the country during the pandemic saw those fireworks yeah. and President Trump coming to Mount Rushmore mm -hmm. in 2020. And I just wanted to ask, what did that <laughs> feel like? Was it just the most amazing thing? It looked so amazing to see the fireworks and see Marine One and the wind was blowing. I mean, was it just one of the neatest experiences you've had as governor? And if there's other ones, I'd love to hear that too. Well, it was, yeah, it was remarkable. Yeah. But, but when I was in it, I was nervous because you just hope you can bring the president in to a national forest um, and keep him safe. Uh, we were concerned about the weather. We were concerned about the flyovers being on time, you know, everything being coordinated, getting people there, keeping them safe. Um, so it was almost like I was tense and not really able to enjoy it until he was back on Air Force One <laughs> and headed back to Washington, D.C. Because there were so many moving parts. People don't know that we spent a year and a half, a year and a half planning that event. Wow. And thousands and thousands of hours because we wanted to respect our country, respect the monument, and allow it to be a moment of unity for our country. We wanted it to be a time when people could be proud of America, celebrate our freedom, and really focus on that. So when I look back at it now, and when I hear people's stories, that's when I get emotional about it. When I talk to my mom the next day, and she describes watching Marine One come in, in front of Mount Rushmore and land, and they could hear the pilots talking, and it was ricocheting off the mountains, and you could hear the helicopter blades, and she had tears streaming down her face, and she said, Christy, everybody was crying. Everybody was so proud to be an American. And, and that's what I love about it, is that, that the night went perfectly. And it, and it was interesting because, you know, a lot of the left attacked me and said I was going to burn down the National Forest for months. They kept saying I was going to risk, um, you know, lighting a forest fire and endangering thousands of lives. And so we had done a lot of work on backburning and partnered with the Forest Service to make sure it was going to be safe. But even after the event was over, President Trump uh, lifted off 
about five minutes later, it started to rain. And one of my reporters of the state that attacks me all the time, constantly, he said, I remember he tweeted, uh, this seems too much of a coincidence. I know Governor Nome is a praying woman, but it's starting to rain, and that seems remarkable. Which, which was really kind of nice, because the fireworks were over, everybody left, it started to rain, and everybody thought, okay. I think the people felt really that God's hand was on the event, yeah. made it special, didn't let anything go wrong. It's memorable. And I know it meant a lot to the president, too. I, he was, it's hard to lead this country. The stresses that he and his family were going through, and they could come and just enjoy America and know that, that they had this incredible blessing and to feel the love from the people that were there, um, I think was a special night for him, too. I think it was so iconic and so special, and I think mm -hmm. it was one of the highlights yeah, of his good. presidency, but also during such a difficult mm -hmm. time. And I remember watching you speak, and I never would have known you were nervous. Oh, yeah. You, yeah. I have no, I would never yeah. know, so you hide it very okay. well. But when we were all just locked up and so worried and the yeah. future was so uncertain, to have that moment, to have the president there, to have you there, mm -hmm. to see the four other presidents yes. on yeah. Mount Rushmore, yeah. our founding fathers, and and heroes in our lives mm -hmm. kind of watch over us. It's so special. Well, so. And, and Rana, they were threatening Mount Rushmore. Yeah. You know, they were tearing down monuments all That's over right. the country. That's right. And so that was the narrative is that we had had to have extra security out there just to protect the monument. And just the fact that we were able to focus on these four previous presidents and talk about this monument and what it meant, not just to South Dakota, but to the country. And yes, our leaders are flawed. All of them have been flawed in one way or another, but they led our, our country through challenging times, and we still learn from them. We take what we can learn from them and use it to make ourselves even better. Another thing that I love about you, and I've mentioned this to you before, I think I turned on the TV one morning, and you were on horseback, yeah. rounding up, I don't know how many, like thousands of buffalo, and you have this thing called what is it, the Buffalo Roundup we in South do. Dakota? Can you talk about that event and 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 how you are so good well, on horseback and rounding them up? And you just know your stuff. Well, You're like a cowgirl. Well, yes, uh, but, you know, that's how we grew up. But this, I mean, that's what's remarkable about getting to be governor of South Dakota is that I have my own actual Buffalo Roundup. It's fantastic, that's right? That's so cool. So Custer State Park is our largest state park, and it has one of the original bison herds in the nation. So it's one of the herds that helped bring them back from extinction, you know, years and years ago. And so what that herd does is we maintain it, um, take care of it, and then every year have a roundup and an auction where we sell some of them to help pay the costs of maintaining the bison herd. So the governor's roundup happens in September of every year, and uh, 20 to 30,000 people come to watch. It is fast. It is extremely dangerous. We have about 60 people on horseback, and we also have about another 30 to 40 Jeeps and all-terrain vehicles, and then many, many vehicles, uh, chase vehicles as well. But it is a flat-out run, and you have to take them that fast because when they hit the corral, um, if you don't have the last one in and shut the gate by the time the first one hits the other end of the corral, they're coming around and coming right back out. So they're incredibly powerful animals. Um, they are not tame at all, so I'd recommend nobody ever try to get close to one of them. But for me, it was great because all these people that love horses and the Western way of life, I get to invite and be a part of it with me. So this last year was so much fun because I invited a bunch of professional cowboys to come 
and some professional bull riders. And these are the real deal cowboys that make their living on horseback chasing cows and riding bulls. And they had never done anything like this before. They were hooping and hollering and laughing and jumping cricks and we were racing, you know, off bluffs and and they just said, we've never done anything like this, Governor. We and they were slapping me on the back and just said it was the most fun they'd ever had. So that's, that's what um, is fun for me, is creating memories for other people. So many times in this job, I only get to talk about negative things. I only get to focus on challenges and bad things. That day is always a day that everybody comes and they love our outdoor western way of life. And then I get to give people the new experience of being a part of it. That is, a, that is, it is the most amazing thing. I yeah. saw it and I well, saw we'll you on you horseback. Well, I will not be riding a horse, yeah. but I'll watch. Uh, you know, you served in Congress. You yes. served eight years in Congress. Mm -hmm. And D.C.'s toxic. Yeah. It really is. So. It's not a positive place. And that's a big reason why I wanted to do this, to talk about real America, uh -huh. real stories of real people and what's happening at the state level, because mm -hmm. I think that is the Republican Party right now. Mm -hmm. What would be something that you would say to people who watch CNN and see all the negativity to uplift them about real Americans and what you see as governor every day as you get to serve the people of South Dakota? Well, I remember when I first got elected to Congress, I wondered if there was anybody there that was a good person. You know, honestly, I was, my husband and I talked a lot about it. We had three little kids and I was going to get on a plane every week and leave them and everything that I loved and go to D.C and work and we were kind of scared about it um, so what was remarkable to me was that I was going there to to try to fight and work for everyday Americans and I did find a few other people not a lot but there's there are some good people there that are there for the right reasons I think what I would encourage people to do and what might give them a little bit of hope and optimism is that people are shocked when I tell them it doesn't take much for them to be heard in Washington, D.C. I would get five or six phone calls to my office on an issue, and my staff and I would immediately go, okay, this is something we need to focus on. This is something people are really concerned about. Or we'd get, you know, five to ten emails, and we'd be like, okay, we need to be paying attention to this. So most people think, well, I can't make any difference on policy or what they're thinking in Washington, D.C. You really can. They, they do hear you. Now, they may choose to ignore you, um, but if you can figure out a way to keep that communication going, it does make a difference, and it does for those people that really want to serve their people and be heard. But where you can make um, a lot of impact, I think, on a day-to-day -day basis is to get involved locally. You know, show up and work for your local Republican Party. Volunteer. Uh, go to your city council meetings. I think one of my best memories as governor was uh, my son called me one night not too long ago and he said mom are you watching the city council meeting and I go no I mean, it was probably four or five months ago I said no Booker what are you talking about because I was still at my desk working and it was about eight o'clock at night he said are you watching the city council meeting I said Booker I have no idea what you're talking about he goes the Rapid City City Council meeting I said no but you are a freshman in college in Springfield Missouri why are you watching the Rapid City City Council meeting which is a town in South Dakota and he said because people mom it's remarkable for the last two hours they've been debating an ordinance on a mask mandate he said but for two hours mom every single person that's come up to testify has said I just moved to South Dakota six months ago and I moved here to get away from a government that tells me what to do 
He said the next person stood up and said, I just moved here from New Jersey two months ago, and I came here because I wanted to live where a government respected me. He said then the next person would show up. I just moved here from Minnesota, and I came here to get away from mandates. And he said per every single person that came up to the microphone said, I came here because I wanted to be a part of this state that really respected my freedoms. And I love the fact that my 18-year-old son <laughs> was, I know. was at college and was watching city council meetings uh, that I wasn't paying attention You're to. You're a good mom. But, yeah, he, An 18-year-old son. Does he want to well, get into politics? I, I don't think he does, but I think what's great is that I was worried. When my when I got elected to Congress, my kids were young. He was seven. Wow. And, and I was gone a lot. So I think it's remarkable that my husband did a fantastic job while I was gone. We also made the decision that anytime I was home that all the kids had to be with me. The rule was that if mom's in South Dakota, we are all together. There's no sleepovers, no birthday parties, we're together. But they, um, it's remarkable to me that all three of our kids grew up to be outstanding individuals that are conservative, that love South Dakota, that love their family, and really with the challenges of serving in office, um, having them be a part, it, a part of it really probably made them even stronger and more informed and more educated than I ever was. Don't you think they benefited? I, I have two young kids too. Yeah. They're older now, but yeah. when I started this job and, and I was only the second woman to be chair, are right. you the first female governor yes, of I South am. Dakota yep. first? Yep. And so in some ways it's hard because we're not home and we, oh. we have those challenges and I don't know why it's just there, the mom yeah. guilt, it's always there. But in, in a lot mm -hmm. of ways, my daughter said to me, you know, thanks mom, for fighting and being involved. Oh yeah. And I that that's so rewarding in the yeah. end and your son watching that city council yeah. meeting that must have just warmed your heart. Well, he was the one that sat by my desk for months during pandemic and when I'd get off a really heated phone call or we would be arguing or something and I'd hang up the phone, he would look up and he would he and he he sat there for hours. He he looked up and he said let's go shoot baskets for five minutes and then you can come back and make more phone calls. But so it was, um, you know, they're the ones that gave me perspective all the time. You know, they were the ones that said, let's play a game of cards and then you can come back and make that decision on how you're going to handle hospital capacity in Watertown, <laughs> South Dakota, you know, so, so families are remarkable. They really do give you your foundation. And I think that, um, you know, what they've been able to do has been, has been pretty, pretty great. We, we had, there was many times, most women think they can't run for office because of their kids. I would just tell them to take your kids with you. Exactly. You know, I lived in my office in DC and there was times I'd have seven, eight kids bunking out in sleeping bags in my office because I just brought kids with me everywhere I went. If I went to a chamber of commerce meeting, my staff never asked, are the kids coming? They always said, how many kids are coming? Because my kids knew they had to be there, so what I always told them is, you have to be there, but you can bring as many friends as you want. And so many times we were going to events on the weekends with a lot of kids, but they all grew up with the benefit of being part of those discussions. And I'm sure they're going to remember that forever. Oh, yeah. We, what a unique childhood. Yeah. That is so great. We have a Republican Party that's discouraged right now yeah. coming out of this election. And I'm very optimistic. Yeah. I love our country. I think we're going to take back the House and the Senate in 2022. Yep. But what would you say to that Republican right now who's saying, I'm, I, I'm done, I'm upset, Biden's destroying our country, mm -hmm. the Democrats are turning us into a socialist nation. 
How would you encourage them to get involved right now? Or what would you say to them at this time in this place heading into this really important election? Oh, yeah, I would tell them not to be discouraged at all. We have everything going for us. Look at what we saw in this country the last 18 months. Um, leadership has consequences. Who ran each state, it clearly shows that Democrat leadership failed people. It failed businesses. It bankrupted them, their families, and their states. And it was the wrong decision on every level. Republican leaders, they stood up. They fought for their freedoms. And we have the perfect testimony of everything the Republican Party says that it believes. We did it this year, and we've shown that it works, and it really does create opportunities for the American dream. So I tell people all the time, you woke up in the United States of America. You are better off than 99.9% .9 of the people in the world just because you woke up here. And we have clear proof that what we believe actually is uh, leads to the brightest future that we have. So, And also remember that we are, we are going to bring people to the Republican Party by being optimistic. Uh, we went through some pretty dark days lately, and people want to be drawn to people that are happy, that are optimistic, that really do provide them with hope. And uh, we have the answers in what we believe and what we embrace, and we should be telling our stories. Uh, people get inspired by stories. Um, we can't just give them facts and data and statistics all the time. We have to tell the stories because that really is what resonates in their heart. Um, I remember an old proverb that I saw, what you see with your eyes, you carry in your heart. And so I take every opportunity that I can to get people that disagree with me into situations where they can see and hear from people that, that were impacted by different decisions, where they can see with their eyes really what consequences there were or what opportunities were created by decisions. And that's often how we convince them that what we believe really is the right path for their future. I think you said that perfectly. I think it's a perfect place to end okay. because I can't think of anything better to give voters hope right now than yeah. our Republican governors That's and right. leaders like you who really prioritize, and, and it's very personal for me, mm -hmm. kids and yeah, families and businesses and keeping them open and freedom and understanding that you can understand the science and you can protect the people of your state, That's but right. you can also function and stay open. And we're seeing that so much mm -hmm. right now, the aftermath of really tough decisions that in my family, mm -hmm. my son will not have the same education no. that, that kids in your school had this year. No, and they're going to be in sick. your state had, and they're going to be competing for mm -hmm. colleges and yeah. getting in. And how are we going to match up with these kids that were able to go to school versus kids right. like mine? And the, all the things that have happened and the consequences. I am so thankful for you. Oh, thank you thank for you. leading. We're grateful for thank you. Thank you for being a leader in our party. And I'm excited to share your story with the rest mm -hmm. of our party and the rest of our country. Thank you so much. Thank you, Ronna. I'm Ronna McDaniel, and this is what Republicans stand for. Join us next time on Real America. Paid for by the Republican National Committee. Not authorized by any candidate or candidate's committee. www.gop.com.